It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Mac, what's happening? You put on a sport coat for the podcast. <laughs> Look, this is what they told me to do. They said I had to be professional. Oh, man. <laughs> so I said, you know, what the hell? The big girls love that. Chicks love the last shot opportunity. Somebody give me a napkin so I can wipe my mouth. Ah. One thing that, you know, I'm, I'm going to start out kind of easy with this thing, Ray, because one thing, I've always been such a big fan. And the reason I've been such a big fan because I've always felt I was just like you. When you came to the Celtics, you were like that third person. When I came to the Celtics with Larry Bird and McKip, people actually kind of forget about Ray and it seemed like it was Paul and you know, Paul and KG, and, and, and I always knew it was you. How do you feel about that? Um, you know, it didn't bother me. Uh, it wasn't about, you know, I never did or played the game uh, for a pat on the back. It was all about myself and how I felt about, you know, me doing my job and, you know, being here and being able to be counted on. And um, I think when we got thrust in situations where, it was time to win games. I knew that the ball had to come around my way. And, and for me, that was probably the biggest, um, I don't know, the, 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 the greatest compliment from either the opposing team or, or, or my own team, because they knew that if it was a technical foul or if it was just a free throw down the stretch that, you know, they had to find me at some point. So, that to me is the greatest compliment because it really is not about how you start the game, but, you know, having those, your best five in that particular game, finish it. That, that's the thing. And I think the true uh, basketball head, the people that love the game, you know, I've had people come up to me since I've been retired and say to me and tell me things that I would do during the game, you know, my pregame routine, uh, some people would come to the arena and just watch the things I do or did. And and I knew that they actually watched because they would describe it to me. And, and that was something that, you know, it created a pregame ritual for them for them as well, because now they're locked in. Like, I got to go watch this because if I don't, we're going to lose. So it's things like that that are bigger than somebody saying, hey, you know, I'm of this guy because he's got a million votes for All-Star for the all-star weekend uh, starters, but more importantly, someone who's contributed and committed to his craft and gives people uh, the hope and ability in their own, own game that they can do the same things. Well, one thing I have to ask you about, and you talk about shots and being ready. 
take me through this. The greatest shot, I call it, the greatest shot in playoff history. I think you shot it. And I keep talking about it over and over again. That you had you hit the greatest shot. Well, I hate it was with Miami, but yeah. I feel the fact that you hit one of the greatest shots in NBA history. Can you talk about it? Do you remember it? What do you remember so well about it? Because everybody talks about what I talk about all the time. As I said, Ray Allen had to catch it. Go back behind the line. Toe was behind the line. Everybody was holding their breath to see. And then you had did exactly like you've done for thousands and thousands of shots. Yeah, and there was a natural progression uh, to my career uh, going from um, you know, starting in college, you know, people said that I couldn't get my own shot off. And then I got to Milwaukee and I learned to play this up-tempo game where, you know, we were, we were Golden State before Golden State existed. You know, in Milwaukee, we shot fast and they said it couldn't be done. You couldn't win that way. And then I get shipped out to Seattle to an even younger team where we had this run and gun style where, you know, we had great shooters, you know, guys that could really play. And it was where I kind of honed my leadership skills. And at the same time, I got the opportunity to really shoot the ball and score to then going to Boston where all that was kind of reeled in. Like I didn't have the opportunity to shoot and score as much, but what, what didn't change was how I uh, approached the game, how I prepared for the game, because I know I knew then just like I knew in Seattle at some point it was going to come down to free throws, which it always does. Or you got to hit a three-pointer to win a game. And it's not necessarily always you, but everybody has to be uh, prepared and alert. So uh, coming down to 2013 in that final um, moment, you, we wouldn't be talking about it if I missed the shot, Max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I can hey, tell you. Hey, you know what? How about this? All the fans that left the game before you hit the shot. <laughs> yeah, and – you know, that, and that, that's an indictment on, you know, the culture, the, the Miami culture here, because there's still a young franchise, you know, unlike Boston, where you have generations of fans, you know, you, you think about going back to the 50s and people who watched uh, Russell and Cousy play. So it's indoctrinated into your, uh, to your family. So you grow up in it and you're watching it and you watch championship basketball then and span the generations and you watch it forever. So Miami is still going through that process of, you know, you, you just retired D Wade's number and he was your first player that's won you three championships. So now you see where they go from that to the next generation and do they win? And, and, and you start to build that culture. Uh, it's also easier when you're in Miami to, if the game doesn't go the way you want to kind of turn the page and do something different, you know, when you're up, go out in, to the beach, baby. <laughs> when you're up in, when you're up in Chicago, Philly, New York, Boston, you ride or die with, with basketball because that's your team in the winter and you have nothing else to do. So it can be depressing if you, if you have a, a, a bad team. So in, in 13, it was like, I, I was in a situation now where I was, I was so prepared. It wasn't like I needed to, do anything like lines or I know these lines like the, the lines on my the palm of my hand you know I've been there I know where the basket is and so the thing reminds me or or I'm always reminded of in that situation and for any future situation I get thrust in I can do anything that I want to do 
and be good at it as long as I prepare. And that was just me preparation. If you collect all the years I've played over the course of the games I've played, the teams I've played on, the situations I've been in, it would for me. I could have, and we wouldn't be having this conversation. But the fact that I made it, we're having this conversation. But I, I can tell you millions, or I'd say, you know, a. 10 to 20 shots that I've missed that, that, that cost us uh, games over the course of my career. So I just learned that, you know, you got to get back on the horse, you got to ride again, and you always have the, the next shot is the most important shot. Well, the thing I, I'll ask you going on forward now will be your relationship and your battles that I saw over the years going against Kobe Bryant. And I know how close you were, but I know how far you were from him. And it just seems that you're the kind of guy I need to talk about. Yeah, and, you know, the game passes you by. And I just remember being a young guy. Kobe and I were riding on the bus. Um, we were going to uh, the combine in Chicago. We happened to land in the airport together, and we were sitting on the bus. And, you know, Kobe was – he was uh, he was a young guy. He was 18 years old, and – he he admired me, looked up to me because he had watched me in in college. Uh, Kobe and and Rip played against each other, and now Rip is going to UConn. Kobe's getting drafted into the NBA, so we had this. Uh, he just had this this um, this young excitement, this enthusiasm about him to come into league and uh, improve himself. Um, so. That's the Kobe I always remember whenever I played against him. Uh, you know, we always competed, and obviously he wanted to always prove to people that he was better than me because I was drafted higher than him. Um, but that's that's probably the source behind our, our rivalry. You know, we had an intense rivalry in, uh, when I played in Seattle and uh, then obviously playing in the finals in Boston. So it just it just seemed as though – we had so much, you know, going in. We, we came in together and we went in different directions. So it just seemed like there's a point where you could just sit down and, you know, that 30 for 30 comes out and you get a chance to sit down with your family somewhere on the beach somewhere and just kind of conversate about, you know, everything that you went through. And, you know, there's things that he had to deal with and in the year we beat him in, in 08 and then when – they beat us in, in, in 2010, like to be able to share those stories and the year in between, it, it never will come to fruition. And it's just, it's, it was sad to me to know that that conversation will never, never be had because it wasn't like I had anything against him. I just love competing against him. I wanted to beat him as much as he wanted to beat me. So um, it just was, you, you think about it, it's like, wow, we played a game for a living for our whole lives. And, and I think in a lot of situations, Max, when you're playing in a, in a city like Boston and LA is, has this, this, this huge rivalry and you're to some extent, you're made to hate. Anything <laughs> in LA. You know how it is. Yes. Well, you guys made, you guys seem like you made Paul grow into another player. You know, when he was here and I saw him play all these years, playing with even Antoine, yeah, Paul kind of took it another way. But when you got there and Ray, I mean, and, and Kevin was there, it's like he transitioned to the captain and, and to a whole nother player. Well, he, he, he certainly paid, paid attention. I think that 
you know, for Paul, most of the most of his career, he he had been with a lot of younger players, and it was almost like sea biscuit mentality, where once he saw once he saw like me come in, you know, Paul would always talk trash about things that I was doing, but then you would always see he would gradually uh, start doing them. You know, he'd always talk trash about what I was eating, why I'm eating that, or how come I'm in the training room. I would start on one table and I'd end up on the other table. He's like, "Damn, you gonna you gonna touch every table?" I was like, "This is what it takes to to exist for." you know like you got to take care of yourself and I think for most of his career he was around younger players that didn't give him the ability to see what it is to be successful so he was the one that was setting the tone um every every night you know night in night out once we got there you know for him it was easy because he he felt like there are times where you know, he could cruise, but then when he, when Paul and I got, or Kevin and I got there, you know, you, you couldn't, this is what we did every single day. It wasn't like, you know, Tuesday we could take off or Thursday we take off. It was my, it was an everyday thing. And, you know, we were just religious because we knew we didn't want to win. And so when we got there, you can tell he, he certainly, you know, saw, you know, the example set. And then, you know, we still had young players, you know, at the end of the roster, you know, Rondo was trying to find his own. And, and then we had Big Baby who was trying to learn to be, have an impact on uh, the NBA. Uh, Perk was trying to come into his own. And, you know, so a lot of those guys were taking cues from, you know, the example that we set. Um, I think the difference in once I went to Miami, the difference was there was only, there was only one person really that, was trying to make a name for himself and you could throw Norris Cole in there coming off the bench. But, uh, uh, Mario Chalmers was the one guy who was in a rotation that was young, but you know, he was still, he was still a guy that had to follow so many other guys because, you know, this locker room that I was in was, it had veterans from top to bottom. You know, you're talking about, you know, Jawan Howard, you know, at the time he had, I think 18 years, in the NBA, and then you got guys like James Jones and Shane Battier and Mike Miller, uh, and and Birdman and Rashard Lewis. You know, you you got guys that have played you know great basketball on other teams for a long time. So you can go in any direction when it comes to you know who you're going to play. So it, you know, oftentimes I know it had to be difficult for Spolster because. You, you got so many great shooters that you can put in the game and you had to kind of deal with those, those egos. But, you know, for the most part, a lot of guys, they were professional and, and, and everybody wanted to win. I'll read one thing that Doc Rivers said. Doc Rivers said, Ray Allen, when he comes back to Kevin Garnett's retirement, he's going to get the greatest ovation. Your feeling about that? Um, I don't know why Doc is saying that. I don't know why he's um, – I know he's speculating and hope that I am there. Um, and, you know, I think it's – for Kevin, it's well-deserved that he uh, gets his jersey retired, and I'm, I'm proud of him. Uh, most people, what they – I'm sure some people know, but most people don't know that Kevin was – he was always like my young brother uh, growing up uh, in South Carolina. So to see how far – you know, we both have come uh, from those days in South Carolina and for him to get his jersey retired in Boston is, is an amazing accomplishment. 
you know, I used to always say, like, when you walk into the garden and you see all those jerseys up there, you know, all those great players, like, I don't think in sports you see that, you know, on any team, you know, just the, the, the legends that go up in those rafters. So for him to have his name up there, is an amazing accomplishment. And then uh, to be announced to the Hall of Fame, again, I, I remember him when he was 14 years old. Um, uh, as far as me uh, being there, um, <clears throat> I think that is, you know, a, a subject that is really undecided uh, yet. Uh, it would take uh, Kevin and I to have a conversation, you know, moving forward. Um, and as, as you know, when I left, um, I left as a free agent. Um, I left um, because, you know, there were so many un- unresolved issues that the team wasn't uh, considering or, you know, willing to change. You know, as a free agent, you want to know that the team is going to do the things you know they need to do. And so um, what is it now? It's, it's 2020. So you're, you're talking about, you know, nine years now. Um, and, you know, I've gotten so much hate, death threats, vitriol from uh, from Boston fans, from, you know, obviously these guys have uh, kind of removed me from the big three, said so many negative things about me. And I haven't had one negative thing to say about, you know, any of them. You know, we can talk about, you know, the things that we went through. You know, we've had tough times. We're brothers. We went through a lot. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't change anything that we've done. And so – it just, it, it did, it hurt me, you know, over the course of this time, just to hear, you know, just some of the things that have been said. It is like, you know, we're supposed to be celebrating, you know, these times, you know, having one in 2008. We're supposed to be celebrating and talking about all the great times, but instead, you know, they want to be mad at me because I left and, and went to Miami. As, um, as a free agent, though, you got to yeah. add that in. As a free agent. Just like, you know, it, it, I, I always say, you know, it was one of the – after – in 2008, we were at the ESPYs, and we were, we were coming downstairs and, and found out that, that Posey had uh, signed with New Orleans. And, we, you know, we had no idea, no inkling, and we were like, Pose, we come downstairs, like, you signed with New Orleans, what happened? He was like, you know, Danny wouldn't give me the, the fourth year um, – Something, I don't know if it was the third or fourth year, but he was like, Danny wouldn't give it to me. So New Orleans offered it to me. And so I was like, well, I, I, I'm not mad at you because, you know, our situation at the time, we're okay. You know, that's what you got to deal with in your family because you're going through free agent. That's the situation you have to deal with. You know, I can't, I can't live in that man's house and tell him how to do his business. And, and to me, that was, that was like, you, that's what I always knew. And that's what I always expected. Like you, you, it's a business that we all got to make sure that we are on the right side of our families and on the right side of who we are to be able to go out there and do our job. So when it came to it and, you know, we were trying to get this deal done and everything kind of somewhat went awry. And now all of a sudden the backlash came from, and I was like, wait a minute, what happened to being a free agent? And, you know, you moving on, like you had every opportunity to make sure I stayed and everybody knew about this. This new episode of the Cedric Maxwell Podcast brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from NFL and bowl season to eSports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost 
any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure you use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. Number 74, 75. Top 75, Max. Don't play me like that. Don't play me like that. This is, this is my guy, Paul Pierce, legend with the Celtics. And, man, Paul, congratulations, Thank first you, of all. Man. I Thank mean, you, I know it, it must be absolutely amazing when you think about I always thought you were good, but damn, be, I mean, the top 75, that's a that's a mind blower, man. No, no, for real. You got to understand so many NBA players that's come through the league over the years. Think about <clears throat> over the 75-year period, you got thousands of players right. that play in the NBA, and to be mentioned among one of the top 75 ever is a great honor for sure. Did you actually ever envision that? Because, I mean, there's some, that's that's a, I, I mean, I, I look at it, 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 Balls in my mind because I think about the time, the first time I met you, you and I were out, to, out at the practice facility out in Waltham, and you were, like, shooting threes, and you were looking at me like, I can do this all day. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and you were young at the time, so it was just amazing then. No, you know what? I think, you know, to be successful in this league and to be great, you got to believe in yourself. And that's what I try to tell, you know, ball players. you know, um, just the confidence is the one thing for me I think that stood out. Even when I when I failed, I didn't look at it as failure. You know, I looked at it as I learned something, you know. And so that's just who I was. You know, if I'm going to go out there and I'm, I'm going to talk trash and, and try to back it up, I put that pressure on me. But if I don't back it up, oh, well, I'm, let me keep working. Let me keep working. And that's just who I was. And I'm, I'm, I'm one that was always able to take criticism. It didn't really phase me. I brushed it off. And, and, and to be great and to be one of the best, I think that's what you got to do. You got to be able to take it and roll with the punches and move on. One of the things I remember so well was your relationship with Doc. First in the beginning, <clears throat> a little rough. Those yeah, some sure. rocky moments. <laughs> yeah, I remember sure. Doc Rivers had you on the bench one time, and he walked back down to you. He's like, damn it, Paul, you ready to go back in? You were like, I'm ready to go back in. You went to work. But your relationship with him and how it's developed over the years. Yeah, I mean, everybody know. I think it was kind of well documented that we didn't start off on really the right feet. But, uh, you know, some relationships uh, start off like that. When you know you're going to be together long term, it ain't always – you don't always see eye to eye. But uh, I think when I turn – the corner as a player uh, is when I just started to see what Doc Vision was for me. You know, he wanted to be he wanted me to be just as successful as I wanted to be successful, and I didn't realize that at first. And so when I started to see that, uh, when we started to see eye to eye, it was just like that's when I became a better player. When I just started doing the things necessary to help this ball club win, doing the things necessary at practice, uh, being an example uh, for the younger guys. You know, when I when I started doing that and see that evolve and into what that what that created around the franchise, I became a better player. One of the things I, I truly remember about you was your love this Camp T A. Because you would <laughs> that that Tony Tony Allen says that all the time. He said, man, he said Forget about the rest of them dudes. He said every day, Paul Pierce <laughs> busted my ass every day in practice. Yeah. Like, Paul, you'd be like, T.A., come on out here. And it made him better, but I can't imagine taking that kind of abuse every day. No, but you got to understand, T.A., Tony Allen has recognized one of our great NBA's great defenders. Uh, he made me better, too. 
and that's why I wanted to play against him every day. He came out of college. He was one of the top defensive guys. He was defensive player of the year, I believe, in the conference. And usually defense in college translates to the NBA. If anything translates, it's the defense. And I was like, all right, this young kid, he think he got some defense. I'm going to get – let, let me come on over here. Let me see what that's all about. Come on over here. And so as I'm getting better offensively, he's getting better defensively. And, and I think that's what made us both uh, great at what we did because I've been known as one of the great offensive players in NBA history, and he's been known as one of the great defenders. And so, uh, you know, we made each other better, and I always took that challenge, especially from a young guy. As I got older, he was young, athlete, and he made me better, and that's why I called on him every day in practice. One of the things you look at this team is, man, just all of a sudden it was a perfect storm. Yeah. You get Kevin Garnett. You get Ray Allen. Paul Pierce is still in his prime. It was just the perfect time for everything to come together. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing we all wish that we could have did it a couple of years earlier. Yeah, but it really was. I remember you. I remember you telling me that. You were talking yeah. about Kevin Garnett. And you so Wick, you said, Wick. This is the guy we he need to get. And that was way before he even got yeah, Kevin Garnett. was a couple years. We was at the free throw line. I'm like, hey, Wick. We at the free throw line. So you, Wick, and I'm at the free throw line boxing out. You on the front row right here. I'm talking about right here. I was like, look. Kevin at the free throw. I'm like, look, you we get him, we'll win the championship. I'm with him dead in his eye. <laughs> you know, and then a couple years later, we get KG and we deliver. And I'm like, man, I, I knew something. That, that that magical run that you had had to be like just so wonderful to you know to be with the same team yeah and, and and to go through the grind not go to another team and still to be here and to do it in a Boston Celtic uniform yeah I, absolutely I mean do it with the team that drafted you because nowadays Max you look at how the player movement is and you know I, I don't think there's nothing wrong with it you know players aren't empowering themselves but. You know, they manufacture their moves now. Like, we got KG. Yeah, we had a super team, but we had to, like, do it through trade. We had to, you know, have some picks to do it. It wasn't like I was calling, hey, let's play together. You know, we can have a super team, which I, that they're doing today. And so that's why this was this one's more special because it, I waited to, like, my 10th year. I'm like, man, I'm 10 years and no playoff success a couple first rounds, second rounds, one Eastern Conference Finals. And it's pretty much at the point where I'm like, you know, how much longer I got to play at this level? You know, we either going to make a move or, you know, send me somewhere where I give, give me an opportunity because I feel like I have the skills as a player to help a team win a championship. And so, you know, our 10th year we made the move with Kevin and, and Ray, and we all complimented each other's skills perfect. You know, Kevin was our inside guy. Ray was our shooter. And I was a guy that can pretty much do a little bit of everything. And that's what made it work so well. And we conversated every day. We put our egos down. We was like, look, we all been in the same boat. We all coming from being all-stars. KG, you've been an MVP. You got multiple all-stars. Ray, shooting champ, all-star. But we ain't never won nothing. You know, you've been the man over there. Seattle, Milwaukee, Ray. Kevin, you were... Minnesota, you've been the man. I've been over here in Boston. We never won nothing. So when we all got together, we like, man, it's about winning a championship now. So no egos, just brush them to the side. We need to do what we got to do to win. How good did you think you were going to be? I mean, because everybody said, oh, they won't win their first year. They're going to win the next year. And then the first year you guys get together, 
It was just, it, and, and the guy I love, you know, that we traded away was, we traded away Al to get yeah. KG. And I was like, hey, I'm not really sure. And I saw KG make the first pass and do something defensively. I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this like, damn. Let me tell you something, though. This could have went a whole nother direction because check this out. If the Celtics, say the Celtics that year get the number one or two pick, we got the number five pick, which ended up being Jeff Green, I believe, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, which ended up making the trade for Ray. And so things could have went a whole lot different because, like you said, Al Jefferson was a young piece. You had Kendrick Perkins was another young and up-and-coming piece. Rajon Rondo. Say, for instance, that we get a number one or two picks, they draft Kevin Durant. Then I'm probably traded because now you have Al Jefferson, who's a young phenom. You get a guy who's Kevin Durant, Perkins. That's not bad. Three at the time when you're talking about rebuild. Yeah, that's what it would have looked like, you know. And then I probably been in the office somewhere. Who knows? And you know the future still would have been bright. I mean, because we all know what yeah. Kevin Durant uh, he he's become. But it could have went a whole different uh, direction if that happened. So luckily we get the five pick and it ended up the way it did. I remember your and I'm not gonna say. I'm gonna say it. your your arrogance towards younger players. I remember the first. I remember the first time you played against Kevin Durant, and you were oh, like, yeah. "Kevin Durant, who the hell is this?" Oh, and you yeah. like, oh, like yeah. I remember you playing looking like shit in Seattle, like, and, and I would always see you. I'm like, oh, we can see Kevin. He's like, Kevin Durant. And but then right. it was like you you watched him and you said, "Damn man, that kid is pretty good." But but you know what it was too. Cause I saw that from other players when I was a kid. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying. Like I'm looking at guys like you know when I came in the league, like I'm playing against like Jordan. I remember playing pickup with Jordan. You're like, Paul Pierce, like <laughs> yeah. you know me and Twan. You know we playing against these guys. And I'm looking at Jamal Mashburn, looking at me like <laughs> playing Big Dog Robinson. They, what this? You know what I'm saying? So like I'm like, damn, they really okay. So now as I got older. I'm giving it back to the guy. Kevin Durant, LeBron, okay, who is y'all? Like, you know what I'm saying? So I think that's just the way to attack. Because look, they coming after you. They coming after your yeah. slot. Yeah. You know, you slide it in. Y'all play the same position. You know, you don't want to give them no edge as a youngster. So that's how I was. Wow, what a magical year this is for you, though, to go to the Hall of Fame now to be one of the top 75 players in the history of the NBA. Does it get better than that? And yeah, and now I mean, we look at all the things you're doing, and you know you talked about Showtime yep. and and things that you're doing. You left ESPN, and you said, "Oh, everybody said Paul Pierce making a mistake leaving ESPN." No, I got fired. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got fired. Okay. And they fired me. All right. Well, I'll we'll talk about why on another, you know, okay. another day. <laughs> you, you got fired. But then, as one thing I've always learned about like Paul some Pierce, of the things I was doing. You, you've always, <laughs> you've always made that lemonade. You always had that lemon, and you could always turn it into lemonade. Yeah. And you, man. you, and the thing you've talked about, you and I talked about, you said, what I do is I just, I keep going. You said, yeah. I'm, I'm giving one life. But I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, one door closes, another one opens, Max. You know, that's what life is about, ups and downs and how you bounce back. And that's who I've always been as a player and as a person. You know, the things didn't work out there. Okay, fine. Now it's time to get back on my feet. I got something else going. I got a Showtime deal I just did. 
working with you know Stack and Matt and KG. Me and him got something in the you works. You and KG, y'all, y'all ain't number, <laughs> y'all ain't number gangsters, man. No, I, 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 I give a damn what you're, y'all, y'all like the no, the, the rough. I know, but you, we you brothers, guys are the man. original mafia kings, man. Every time I look at you, dudes, you always got some shit going on. Me and KG, we got, it's hey, always, brother, and it's always man. something you're doing good. No, it's my brother, man. We we I think we stuck to, for life. We stuck for life, man. We live five minutes from each other. You know, it's crazy. I moved, and then he moved. It's like, we lived by each other for the last 15 years in L.A. Wow, wow. And so, you know, our kids are the same age. We're forever connected. <laughs> and so, you know, that's just how it is. You know, you got peanut butter and jelly. You got, you know, you, you, you got Mario Brothers. You got Paul and KG. <laughs> that is, that's just unbelievable when you think that all the things you guys have done together. And now, I even like the fact that I got to bring Ray Allen, who was the third amigo that you were, you talked about him and your brotherhood with him and, and you were at your retirement and you, you kind of bring him back in the fold mm-hmm. and it looks like Kevin and, and Ray now are starting you to talk a little me, bit. It's like, bring, me, like bringing the damn band back. Max. You just gave me okay. an idea. Okay. Me and KG are going to do some, a show with Showtime. I think Ray Allen should be our first guest. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> You know what? We don't need anything gave, from the peanut yeah. gallery, okay? We got a peanut <laughs> gallery of amen. But, uh, you know, I think over time things be, uh, will mend together. And I think the, that you slowly and surely we had a chance to talk to Ray at the Hall of Fame. We were all there in the same building. And I really give a lot of credit to Doc, though. Because, you know, me and KG was sitting there at the Hall of Fame and we were talking about the situation. You know, me and Ray pretty much mended our <clears throat> our differences. And, you know, KG is still on the fence, but I think our conversation with Doc kind of smoothed things over to where you, you're you going to see us all back together no, pretty that's soon. That's cool. Man, the, the things that we we talk about is really strange, the fact that there was a, and I might have told, I probably told you a story that when you were in Golden State, I had an opportunity to go there. When you got traded to the Boston Celtics with Kevin McHale, for Joe Barry Carroll, everybody says, that was the steal of the century, and it had to be. How did you feel? Because you were just kind of like a throw-in yeah. with that trade. I definitely said because at the time, the narrative about my career was that I was like a days ago. I didn't care about winning because, as you know, I don't show a lot of emotions. I'm kind of pensive and stoic. And so I, I, I obviously I gave off the impression that I don't give a shit one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let me say this. And you learned that from your daddy. Because I remember always talked about him. Those my, yeah, favorite, you know, my favorite Robert Parrish stories when you used to tell me you go to your daddy and, and say, Dad, can I have a dollar? He said, Man, you know I don't get paid till Friday. Oh, it's classic, Cedric. <laughs> classic. And Cedric, it wasn't like he didn't have it. He yeah. just didn't want to give it up. He was he was probably, in my opinion, the tightest man I ever known. You tell me holding on to a dollar? He got to keep a dollar, Cedric. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Cheap now, is the day is long. Now, tell me about that trade and everything that happened, because I probably know most of it, but mm-hmm. I told you the story that Golden State came to me before that trade happened and said, what we're going to do is offer you a free agent contract, Cedric Maxwell. Right. And what we're going to do is we're going to have Robert Parrish and we're going to draft this guy, Kevin McHale. I didn't know who Kevin was. He said, that's right. going to be our front line. 
So I thought I was going to go to state. They pulled the rug from under me. And, and eventually I hear this trade that a guy who already knew Robert Parrish was coming to Boston. How did that make you feel? And, and just, you know, the balance of power just turned because maybe the biggest trade ever. Well, the biggest lopsided trade ever. First of all, famous for Joe Barry Carroll. And I love Joe. Joe was a good dude. Right, he wasn't right. no Robert Parrish, and he wasn't no Kevin McCabe. Uh, first of all, I want to touch on what you said earlier about the Golden State Warriors pulling the rug from under your feet. Hallelujah for that. I'm so <laughs> glad they didn't get rid of you. <laughs> but that that being said, uh, I was in I was in uh, process of negotiating an extension with the Golden State Warriors. And right in the middle of negotiations, I get a phone call uh, from the Warriors saying that I had been traded to the Boston Celtics. At first, I was pissed off because I feel blindsided. But then after I thought about it, I'm like, hell yeah. Because uh, <laughs> after they because that summer, uh, before they started negotiations on an extension for me, they traded Rick Barry away. So I knew right then that they were not serious about winning. So why would you trade your best player? away. Especially two years before I got there, he had led them to a championship. So that lets me know that the only at the time was, was uh, Franklin Muley. And I knew right then that uh, if I stayed with, with the Warriors, I was going to have a very short career because they wasn't serious about winning. And and losing every night, uh, <laughs> it was tough for me to get used to that. You know, oh, that, that was a challenge. But uh, Getting traded to, to Boston and I, uh, the first day of, of uh, training camp, I knew right away that it, it was something special because everybody was balling except for me. Because <laughs> that's the first time, Civic, I took the whole summer off. First time I, I, I never trained. Now, now, one time until I think training camp just started in September. And I started training after my birthday, August 30th. Now, you're talking wow. about seriously, seriously out of shape. Oh my God, you guys were running, man, like it was mid-season. <laughs> I was like, okay, lesson learned. There's no such thing as an off-season. Lesson learned. You got to train year-round. So it was a, it was a, a teaching moment for me, and 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 a, and a and a and a valuable uh, experience for me. So, uh, as you know, uh, being traded to Boston, that just like catapulted my career to a whole nother level. Not, I don't think, I have said this all along, Cedric, it's not so much uh, our individual accomplishment because you were a great player. I was Kevin, Larry, DJ, and, and uh, Taney. I think because we played on such great teams, that's what got us our fame and notoriety. Because we, in my opinion, we had a similar one of the best teams ever. Some people say the best team. I'm going to go that far. But certainly one of the best teams ever. We had some horses. I don't know what you ever think about it sometimes, Max. Man, we we had some talent, man. I, I, I tell Ooh. people that all the time because I said not only that, but all of us, we were in our 20s. You don't find you, yeah, we you get the, prime. the greatest front line to ever play. And I always pay people talk about the big three. I said, no, it was four of us. It wasn't Thank just you. three of them. Thank and you. I said, and I said, what happened? This was the greatest front line that you could not. And and you know what I remember? I just remember the battles that we had. 
it was when they put you and Larry on the team and then me and Kevin on the other team. Yeah. Man, them was some of the most wicked battles I'd ever seen, especially when it was a post-up game at that time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I have always said this, Cedric, when, when I have done uh, other shows and they, they ask me about teammates and, and players that I respect and, and uh, underrated players, Three guys I always say. One is you, Akeem Olajuwon, and James Worthy. You three would never, for some reason, would never get the respect that you three deserve because I always feel like if you was balling, oh, we're going to be tough to beat. Same thing with the Lakers. If James Worthy was on, they're going to be tough to beat. Same thing with Houston when they had uh, Olajuwon and Rap Sampson. If, if the larger one was on, man, they was going to be a handful, man. So with all due respect to Larry, because he was a bad mother, I always felt like if you was on, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's going to be a long night, Cedric. <laughs> we, we talk about those series and, and the things mm-hmm. that went on. I'm going to give you a little bit of, uh, I guess, name recognition here. I mean, you know, we're going to go okay. give you a name and then you're going to throw, I'm going to give you a name that you're going to, you know, follow up with it here. Okay. Dennis Johnson. Another underrated player. And definitely, definitely underrated in terms of, of his uh, leadership, playmaking abilities, because he was known mostly as a defensive ball player. And, and uh, when he came to the, uh, the Celtics, he had to uh, reinvent himself. And I thought this showed a lot of pause, a lot of character, because he sacrificed a lot of his game for the team. And I thought that uh, he went from a, a two guard to a point guard, in which you know for yourself, that's a tough transition to do. But I thought it, it says a lot about who he was as a person that sacrificed his game for the betterment of the team. Dennis Rodman. Now you now you're talking about someone that's masquerading <laughs> as, as, as someone or something else. That was Dennis Rodman. He he said but he's one of the nicest, calming, most generous people you ever meet. But he created this persona, like he's just wacky, you know, don't care about anything, you know, uh off-color type personality. Just the opposite. I've never seen anyone that tries so hard to live up to his nickname or his image or whatever you want to call it. He like went out of his way to do like, he'd be looking at him like, Dennis, what are you thinking about? <laughs> but like I said, he had created this uh, image and, and, and this, uh, like he owned drugs all the time, whacked out his mind, personality, you know, and all that. Colored hair and, and the way he dressed. Sometimes Cedric, he'd, he'd come to the games, get on the bus. Man, he looked like he just came got out of a cardboard box. Looked like a homeless person. Wow. You never would know that though. Never would never. People that were on the outside never knew that. And then you see him look like a homeless person. And then he looked like coming the next next game a rock star. He got the velvet, uh, bare bottom. Hip hugger pants on, <laughs> velvet ruffle shirt <laughs> with a vest with with a, with a big hat 
caught this. <laughs> He's one of the strangest personalities ever been around. For the sweetheart of a person. Isaiah Thomas. I love him, but he's a little dick. Kevin said something to me last year walking off the court when we beat Boston. He said, don't be happy just to be there. You know, go and win it. I, I heard what he said. I, I listened and I understood. But I really didn't understand until now that we're back in it again. I understand now. And I say that because all, I won't say all of them, most of the altercations, Isaiah initiated it. He instigated it. He's a little troublemaker. A great ball player. I certainly would like to have him on my team because of his skills and ability. But he was a, excuse my language, he was a shit disturber. That's what he was. <laughs> he started a lot of problems that, that the Pistons could avoid. Now, granted, it turns out to, uh, to be a positive for them because they got this bad ball image and, you know, they was a tough, you know, and, and uh, stored bunch. You know, it turns out to be a good thing for them. But all that started with Isaiah, in my opinion. The thing which people don't know about you, and I think it's the craziest thing, was just how you got the nickname Chief. Uh, they get ready to find out, right? Everybody talked about that, and we laugh all the time, and everybody said, well, Max, what did you think about it? I said, because Chief used to say that to me all the time, and I, he'd say, what's up, Chief? And I'd say, what's up to him? But it yeah. stuck with you and everybody from then on just that you could walk into you could walk into the Boston Garden right now, and the first thing you hear that mother, and it was like it was like and, and it was such an honor for me to kind of tag you with that, and it's just right, seemed like right. unbelievable the way people you know, and that's what they they call you now when they see you. This is true. They don't call me Robert anymore. It's Chief. And I have to I have to say it all originated as you know from the movie One Flew the Cuckoo Nest. I was always raving about that, that movie, you know, I, I was a huge fan of Jack Nicholson, obviously. And so I just kept, man, you got to watch that movie, the best movie I ever saw. And then one day you said, you know what, Chief? You got to remind me of that character, uh, <laughs> the Chief, because you don't never say much. You know, and then you all walk around, you know, like you can't talk, just like that character in the movie. And then you, then you start calling me the Chief, and I was throwing it right back at you. And like you said, for some reason, it stuck. I don't know why it's stuck, but it just everybody just started calling me the chief. You know what, guys? I got one of my favorites of all time, Nate Archibald. Nate Tiny Archibald. How you doing, my man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm hanging in there every day. One thing we, we talked about and, and I look back on is during the championship run, and, and I watched you all of a sudden gain confidence into being – you transform into another player. You weren't the scorer anymore. You could be. But what you were were the passer, although you complained to me all the time. God, shooting shots all the time. I ain't getting no damn shot. I'm like, why are you telling me that? I got nothing to do with that. You were complaining to me like, and then we got shooting all the shots. I got the ball. But, you know, how you transform as a point guard to me was really interesting. It was a, a thing that I learned in high school. Uh, 
being, uh, you know, committed to trying trying to win. And yeah, I complained to you because you was my buddy. Okay, you 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 was a friend, but you was my brother. And when 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 we started, you know, our journey as far as trying to win games and stuff like that. I just felt like, yeah, I had the ball all the time and I could probably still score, but I had so many assets around me that could do certain things. And I just wanted to make, make that transition and not, 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 not being a non-scorer, but make that transition to trying to be a part of a team. All, all my life, I've been a part of a team and necessarily not scoring and not maybe passing the ball all the time. When I was in high school, I was, I tell people we didn't lose a game in high school, but I was on a team and God says, no, you was the man. No, no, I was on the team. I was glad to be on the team. Then you go to school and you just, you, you know, you, you, you a player on the team. And I, I, I think that when, you know, growing up and that, it doesn't matter where you grow up, Max, just growing up, you just wanted to be a competitor. Okay. You just wanted to belong. And when I got there, I didn't know where I fit. Okay, but then you, you know, you're talking about Larry, Kevin, Chief. The game became easy, and it wasn't scientific. The game, the became, the game became easy, and now you have to manage a game. I had to manage that game. Yeah. Yes, I took less shots, but I had to manage a game because I had so much great personnel around me, and I just wanted to fit in. <laughs> well, the thing that here's another thing that people don't know: Nate Archibald was one of the only players to lead the league in scoring and assists ever to do that. Now, you go on from there. How did your eyes open the first time you saw Larry Bird? Because I had to guard him, but what did you think the first time you saw him? Because you, you were right there that first day. It was, it was eye-opening because he became, to me, a basketball player first and then a professor. He diagnosed the game. He, he, he knew certain things. But I told people it was just not Larry. It was you. It was Kevin. It was Robert. It was ML. It was Gerald. It was even Fernstein, who didn't really play that much. We had guys. We had a different camaraderie than the guys have now, okay? And we still have that. We could talk about it you know, about the playing aspect. We can't talk about the other things that we did together, going to the movies, going out, you know, and doing different things together, eating and stuff like that. But the camaraderie will never go away. People well, can't, on, people on, can't on, say that. Hold on a minute. I'm going to sing the song right now. Freaks come out at night. The freaks come out. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that too. You know, the, club, the clubs and stuff like that and the, the eating and stuff like that. I think that you know, genuine guys had a good time. Yeah. You know, we do, and it wasn't a color barrier, Max. It was a thing that we all went out and had fun together. You know, and 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 that's that's the thing that even though we won a championship, we had a good team and stuff like that. We could have won a couple more if somebody didn't separate their shoulder and go down. And I get stabbed all the time with that. But you know what? I still t still tell people I got one, and I have a. We had a great team. And we still have that camaraderie. Well, one thing that I, I, I laugh about was, it was just before the season ended, I had a chance to talk to somebody and it made me think of you immediately. Very seldom I saw you elbow guys, but I was talking to Maurice Cheeks. And boy, I know he got some of these from you oh, all yeah. day, all up in the neck. I'm like, damn, dude, why, why are you hitting him? I don't like it. I, and you never said anything. But all I could see, Mario's cheeks, like, oh, oh, you were hitting him in the throat. So it was a different game played back during that time. It was, it was, it was much, much more physical. And guys don't, 
understand that part of it. They're giving a lot of guys who can score now credit, guys, a great shooter and stuff like that. But Max, you know, you know, and, and Kevin can testify to this. You get one shot, bro. Okay, you 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 embarrass me one time. After that, you're gonna be down. Okay, you're gonna be on the you're gonna be on the ground. And you know, they give guys a lot of credit. This guy's a great shooter. He could do this and do that. Hell, oh, man, if, if we can give up a foul, we would give up a a a, a good foul. It wouldn't be a, no Mr. Softy foul. You know, on the ice cream truck, it'd be a good foul. And and that's I think part of that is missing. And I and people always question me about it. I said they changed the rules and they made the game safer and softer. That's what they did. I, I, I laugh, too, also, when I think about the greatest series that I've ever played in. It wasn't the championship series, but it had to be that Philadelphia-Boston 1981. Those were wars, man. They were wars. Well, when, when, and, and I saw you with, with – uh, you know, when they talked about, you know, the Lakers, the Celtics series, I don't know why they wanted to interview me because we never, I never was involved in that type of series. It was always Houston or like you said, either was Philadelphia. Okay. And we crushed everybody else. So it was, it was always a war against us and Philadelphia and the team that you think about it now, the team that won, okay, would, would, would be in the championship game against uh, either L.A. Or, or, or Houston. So I, I always tell people the war was Philadelphia, yeah. okay, because we didn't – it's not like we didn't like them. It was a myth, okay? We wanted to just beat them, and they wanted to beat us. I got my main man, Kendrick Perkins, on the Cedric Maxwell podcast, my boy, way back in the day. How you doing, man? Max, what's going on? Hey, hey Max. Hey, 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 man, you look like you're about 35, man, looking all young and stuff, skinny face. Look, I, I can see it. What you doing over there? And that's, that's the waking diet you on, man. We're doing the same thing. And what I did today, actually, before, I cut all this gray off my face for a minute, just left a little goatee. Hey, man, sometimes, hey, man, that gray is nothing but wisdom, man. <laughs> you know what I'm well, tell me this, then. How, you know, all this time, I remember you talking junk to me all the time. Max, you in the media, you in the media, you in the media. How in the world did you get in the media after the way you talked about me? Because you're like, I ain't going to do that. I ain't going to do that. And now you, you're the main, one of the main cogs in the media. Hey, hey, Max, well, first of all, thank you for laying the foundation, okay? One of the guys that's laying the foundation in. And the thing is, see, once you retire, you, you have no clue what's next. You know what I'm saying? Because I was one of those hard-headed guys that, that when I was playing, I never planned for after basketball. I always said, you know what? I see what, what's my options. Maybe just jump into coaching and stuff like that. So what ended up happening was, was that, you know, I wanted to be – one of my goals when I was playing – my main goal for after basketball was that I wanted to be the next big man that played in the NBA to be a head coach in the NBA. Cause I feel like the bigs, like the big man, we get disrespected for as our game of knowledge. Like you don't have to be a point guard or a guard to know the game <laughs> or to be able to coach a team. So we, we don't see that many guys that's, you know, the last one was Kevin McHale, you know, like we don't see too many, power fours or centers that are head coaches. So I end up, you know, going on a couple of TV networks to 
get my voice heard and speak my basketball knowledge to other teams around the NBA so I could try to put myself in position or, you know, get on somebody coaching staff. And all of a sudden, you know, I started liking the media stuff. And they started <laughs> liking me back. They were, they was liking me back. So I was like, hold on, this is pretty simple. I watch basketball anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I do anyway. So being able to watch it and then go talk about it on TV the next morning, I'm like, hold on, it's right up my alley. And then I'm like, I ain't got to be away from the family too much. Oh, man, this is lovely. This is right what I need. Doc Rivers, I talked to him about this on the podcast. I talked to Tony Allen about it. Everybody seems to be on the same page. And Doc Rivers said, you know what, man? She said, if I can just get these two guys in the same room. He said, it wouldn't, I wouldn't even have to talk. He said, they'd probably break down and cry, hug each other, and, and that would be it. But they just have not been in that position. And, and I could hear the hurt in Ray's voice. And the fact that I understood where Ray came from because Ray got traded. Ray decided that time that he wanted to move on because you signed Jason Terry. He, what you had was there was all these other things going on. And Ray just said, look, I want to go in another direction. How can you be mad at him for going that direction? And ultimately, if you look back on it, here's a guy who won the championship because of it. And arguably, hit one of the greatest shots in playoff history. Well, Max, I don't like like – you know, like those old school people say, man, I got an old soul. It ain't what you do, it's how you do it. And I think that's what rubbed people the wrong way. Because you got to understand, at that time, they was in the heated battle with the Miami Heat. They was up 3-2. LeBron coming to go and have an awesome game. And then they the Celtics lose game seven. So from my understanding, guys felt like that Ray wasn't all in and at the time. And that how he did it. They didn't get a phone call from Ray and say that he was leaving. You know what I'm saying? They kind of just – it was a surprise to him. You see what I'm saying? So, like – Yeah, but, 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 you know, to stop you, you didn't get a call from also um, – uh, you had another player that played with you that was a power forward at one time. And James Posey leaves. Nobody was mad with him. He left, and you guys got the news no. essentially the same way, right? No, no, but it was okay. different because – the simple fact that we was begging Danny to sign James Posey back. Pose was in communication with us, like, but Danny didn't want to offer Pose the money. So we had to ex- uh, accept the fact that he was about to go get a four-year deal for $6 million a year with the Pacers. Like, we couldn't knock that. But for Ray to turn down more money to come back to the Celtics and take less money and join the rival, is what ruffled the feathers, but it wasn't just that. It was that the communication, like, bro, if you go leave, man, call Paul, Ray, and Doc, and Rondo, man, take them out to dinner and tell them, man, I love y'all, but I'm deciding to go this route. And then who knows? If you go to dinner, Ray might, they might convince you, like, what, right now? You ain't going nowhere. You see what I'm saying? So that might not even happen. But for him to do it the way he did it, and you know, like, I know with KG. There's no straddling the fence with him. He either, he either all the way love you and you his dog, or you're on the other side and he just don't mess with you. It ain't no in-between with him. He don't know how to do that. And loyalty is big with KG. We know this, uh, Max. And it wasn't that race signed with the Heat. It was how he done it, as I think that affected the relationship. You were, you've been back and forth to Boston at different times. I'm going to throw out a couple of names to you. Tell me what you think. Jason Tatum, 
Ooh, top 10, <laughs> top 10 player in the league. Max, you know what? He's one guy that I watched throughout the course of a season. He's He got better every 10 games. Like, how crazy that sounds. Offensively, JT got better. Every, every 10 games, his game just kept going up to the point where I was like, when he started matching up with superstars, like when he dropped that 40 ball on the Clippers before the All-Star breaking and matched up with Kawhi, I'm like, hold on, this legit. Then all of a sudden, after the All-Star break, he goes and play against the Lakers, and they got to send a double team at him in the fourth quarter because he tanned their behinds up. And I'm watching them do it on a consistent basis. But then I go to Boston, and I'm sitting there with Paul, and we watching them play the Rockets, and I'm watching J- Jason, and I'm like, it's nothing that this guy is lacking in his offensive package. Like, he he, he got step backs. He got, you know, he could get to the rack strong, but – you could watch a guy and tell the work that he's putting in. Like, look at his body. His body has changed, like, over the course of the years in a great way, like, ripped up, physical, you know, and stuff like that. So it's like, man, you sitting back and you watching, you like, man, in my opinion, I'm like, man, this guy here is going to be a top 10 player. Well, he's a top 10 player in my eyes this year. The sky's going to be the limit for him. We're going to be talking about him in the MVP conversation. I know one thing. I know one thing, Danny Ainge better make sure he's a Celtic for life. You can't get rid of somebody like that, goddamn. When you, you look at that now, I'm going to ask you about Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown is one of my favorite players in the league. Seriously. I think he's he might be the best two-way player in the league. If you talk about a guy who can give you 20 points without having to be ball dominant, and then he takes on the assignment on the defensive end. But you know the thing I love about Jalen Brown is that you don't find too many young guys that's not afraid of embarrassment. And when I say that, uh, um, when I say afraid of embarrassment, I'm talking about he's not scared to pick up the elite players full court and get up on them. He's not scared to get his ankles broke. He's not scared to get dunked on like – that's what makes you love him, that dog and that, that and I'm out here to compete. I don't care about getting put on the highlight. And then he still goes out there and give you that 20 points on 50% shooting. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, nah, give me Jay LeBron all day, every day. All right, Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, man. Doc Rivers, in my opinion, and I only played for a few coaches, but, man, Doc Rivers – his offensive, like, he's an offensive genius. When it comes to that clipboard and him putting guys in position to be successful, I don't know if there's too many coaches out there that can match up with Doc. Besides, he have the greatest pregame, postgame, halftime speeches I've ever saw. And But he's been a mentor to me, Max. Like I said, in my opinion, without Doc Rivers, I don't think I have a 14-year career. Um, he taught me to be comfortable with who I was. Block out the outside noise. Perk, be okay with setting screens. Perk, be okay with anchoring the defense. Perk, be okay with being a low post defender. Do your role. Perk, be okay. And I think Doc instilled, instilled, instilled that confidence in me that I was okay. So when I left and even went to Oklahoma City, I was okay with who I was. I was okay with only averaging five points because I knew what I brought to the table. And it, it was because of Doc Rivers. He taught me how to 
have a routine pregame. You see what I'm saying? Like, hey, Perk, you got to do this, man. In order to be a professional, this is how you got to do it. Don't be out. Don't be doing this. Get your rest. You know, this go going to put you in position. And I thought Doc, when Doc was one of the best things that happened to me. Now, Danny Ainge drafted you, your mentor, the guy who eventually traded you. You've just had this almost a, a love-hate relationship with Danny that goes back, and it's been just kind of nice to see. Well, well, listen, let me tell you something. Danny and I never had a hate relationship. I think the Boston fans kind of hated Danny for the trade. See, what people don't understand is, man, Danny took a chance on me uh, with a, a first-round pick. He saw something in me. Uh, he stood by me, always kept it real with me. That's one thing I can say about Danny is that he never lied to me. He always used to say, Perk, I'm going on the road and scout to try to go find somebody that's better than you and replace you. So what people don't understand, Max, on the back end of this, the back, the back of the story is that Danny called me in his office and he said, Perk, we want to offer you a contract extension. This is before I got traded. But we ain't got that much, but we want to offer you about five to six a year for like four years. And I was like, Danny, I, I don't know. You know, starting centers right now, making between 10 and 15. You know, man, I don't know. And this this is me coming off an of ACL injury. And so Danny was like, ah, as a GM, you got to respect it because he like, well, I got to figure something out because if I don't, I could lose Perkin free agency for nothing. So in Danny's defense, Danny could have traded me anywhere. He traded me to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Think about this, Max. He traded me to a great situation, to a team that was up on the rise with great young talent. But on top of that, before I even played one game with Oklahoma City, I signed a four-year, $40 million extension with them before I even put on a jersey. So Danny knew that he was trading me there, and he knew I was going to get paid. I never hated Danny for that. I, I didn't want to leave my brothers. I didn't want to leave the city of Boston because that's all I knew. But he also sent me there, and I got a big payday. And he, and he sent me to a great organization. So it never was a hate thing for me for us with Danny. We still had communicated. Even when I was with the Oklahoma City Thunder, we still communicate to this day, and it's still love there, like I said. He drafted me, Max, and then they also cut me my first check. Not just a rookie deal, but he signed me to a four-year, $16 million extension, which, you know, just through my hard work. So Danny, like, to be in the organization for eight and a half years, it wasn't no hate there. It was like, man, that's that's love. Well, I had I had a situation, you'd love this, is, and it was with Jason Tatum, and it was after – we were right during the time they the um, they were showing the whole thing on NBC and 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 CBS and, and all these stations that were talking about the Celtics Laker rivalry and uh, boy this whole thing came back to me everybody's oh Max you can play you can play I just laughed about it because we heard what you said to James Worthy well I'm standing on the court before right after the uh, Celtic Laker uh, rivalry dropped. And I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, Jason Tatum comes out. He spoke to me a little bit while he got to the team. But he comes out and says, cornbread, cornbread. I said, what, what's wrong with you? He said, man, I saw that. I saw that tape. Man, you are a badass brother, man. And I just laughed. 
but it made me think of you because this is my last question, which is a funny question. Is you always gave me the hardest time over there? You just like Max, I would have locked you up. I would have did this. I, you gave, always gave me the hardest time, and I had nothing but love for you. Why you give me such a hard time, man? Because Max, let me tell you why. Because I was chasing you. I wanted to break your all-time field goal percentage. I wanted to do that. See, what a lot of people don't understand is, is when you're a true student of the game and you get it. See, when you get drafted and you get a, a chance to be a part of the Celtic history, you got to go back as a young player and do your research. So when I went back and, and saw the things that you were doing and how good you were, I was like, man, I'm going to mess with Max every single time. I'm like, you think you used to give them work, but I would have liked you up. But it was nothing but praise. But it's crazy that you even bought that Jason Tatum thing up. And see, that takes my, my love for Jason Tatum to another level because, Max, think about it. Here's a guy that's 21, 22. Man, he went back in the time, and he's watching you play, man, like, you don't have a lot of young cats doing that. Like, that's doing homework, man. That's that's studying. That's knowing who you around. That's knowing greats and what they've done before your time, man. And you got to appreciate that. But, Max, I used to watch film on you all the time. And I used to say, oh, Max giving out work. I see him. Oh, he balled out. I couldn't wait to mess with you the next day. <laughs> well, guys, this is my man, Perk. I've had him on my uh, podcast. I've enjoyed it. And now the last thing we're going to do, we're going to somehow we got to get together where we get this Ray Allen, this Ray Allen to come back as family, man. Because to me, again, all you guys are family. And the pettiness and, and trifleness, whatever it might be, we're older now. You guys are older. The coronavirus is around. Now you see it's all about family and love. Yeah. You guys were a great team. And, and, and that one guy should always be a part. He shouldn't be away from your team and feel like he's any different. No, I agree, Max. And you know what we got to do? Man, we got to get with Wick and Steve, man, and tell them to load up that private and, and, and pick me, you, and Doc up, and we go pick up KG, and we just pull up on Ray down there in Miami. And then, <laughs> and, and like they did like they did with DeAndre Joy. Now, we go, we go lock you in the house, Ray, and, and me, you, and KG, and Doc, we go have us a sit-down, goddammit. Well, I think that's good, man. Again, thank you very much, Perk. I appreciate your time, brother. And good luck to you and stay safe and stay healthy. Same to you, Max. I appreciate you as always, man. Hey, hey, look, I don't know what you're trying to do right now, man, but look, don't be around there trying to trying to get ready for the summertime for you to be on team, though. <laughs> I know what you want over there. <laughs> My boy, we'll uh, holler at you, man, later.